stories don't define you. How you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. In my work with coaching clients, I guide people to improve their communication using storytelling as the foundation of our work together. What I've realized over years of coaching and podcasting is that the majority of people don't realize the impact of the stories they share on their internal messages and on the people they're sharing them with. What really lights me up is guiding executives in uncovering the stories in their lives that are meaningful. The stories that, when shared with the right audience in the right way, connect, inspire, and motivate. Here's what a former client had to say about our work together. As a leader of leaders, I struggle with how and when to use my stories to emphasize the points my audience is looking for. It's a delicate balance between sounding like I'm bragging and delivering a message that needs to be heard. Sarah's approach to storytelling clears that obstacle so that you can deliver a clear and concise message using your stories to emphasize your points. It's truly amazing when it all comes together. Greg McDonough, Blackburn Capital Advisors, and president of the Entrepreneurs' Organization of Washington, D.C. Visit elkinsconsulting.com to learn more about working with me. Well, lucky me today, I get to host one of my dearest friends, Heather Younger, on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, and Heather's book that was recently released, The Art of Caring Leadership, um, is something that we're going to be talking about today during our episode. So, Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. I am always delighted to be with you, dear. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's funny because I don't consider myself a touchy-feely person. I, I'm not particularly sentimental or emotional, and sometimes I get very uncomfortable with other people's emotion, which is why I find it kind of ironic that the art of caring leadership is so meaningful to me. So what I thought I'd love to chat with you about today are those experiences where we had to, um, either we saw a caring leader behavior in somebody who doesn't appear to be a caring leader, or where we saw somebody shift their perspective around caring leadership. And um, I'll just give you an example, because this is what popped into my head when I was first thinking about how I wanted to approach this episode. When I started at the university system, I started as a secretary. And this is after years of being a PeopleSoft consultant in Washington, D.C. I moved to Montana and couldn't get a job, couldn't get an interview because I don't know anyone and it's a good old boy club here. When I finally got a job, it was as a secretary, but it was on a project called the Transfer Initiative. And the legislature had given us, given the university system, about $2 million to fix what they called the transfer problem, which everyone knows in every state it is hard for a student to transfer their credits among state schools, even though it shouldn't be. So this was set to, to do this, to fix this problem. And I was working on a team of just me and my boss, and sometimes somebody else we would bring into our meetings to help facilitate conversations among faculty. And within eight weeks of starting, I knew what they needed me to be doing in order to make this project successful. So I just started doing it. And that meant that I was doing things that were way outside of what was on my job description. But my boss loved it. He was so grateful for the help, for the organizing, for the facilitation of meetings that, of course, he just let me do it. And then his boss 
was really unhappy and actually told him that he needed to rein me in, in her words, rein me in because I was working outside of what I was hired to do. He didn't, obviously. He didn't say, oh, Sarah, you need to back off (laughs) because he knew this was absolutely necessary work in order to actually accomplish the goal of fixing the transfer issues. And um, so I just kept on doing what I was doing. It was maybe three months later, she pulled me into her office and gave me a letter. And I had this whole PTSD from a previous job where I was being abused. I thought this letter was going to be a write-up on my um, personnel record and that I was getting into trouble and my face turned red and I read this letter and it was actually acknowledgement of all the work I had done to change the dynamic of this transfer initiative project. It was um, a change in my uh, position description, change in my title, and an increase in my annual salary, as well as a $1,000 bonus for the work I had already done under the previous salary. So when I think of this woman, I think of a caring leader that was self-reflective enough and honest enough to be able to acknowledge when she made a mistake. And that's that's why I'm so devoted to this whole idea of the art of caring leadership is you can do it even if you're not a touchy-feely person. So tell me about a story of that kind of experience that you had, Heather. Well, it's interesting that 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 story that you tell is actually in one of my keynotes. I don't know if you remember you gave me that story before. I asked that story, asked for that story, and I love it. And so I wanted to share it because I do believe um, in the work I do on that, like in the podcast, Leaders of the Heart, when I'm interviewing all these leaders, it is not in their perfection that their brilliance is revealed. It is in that time when they're kind of at this, they're actually at the low point where they are not expressing care. They are not revealing care and, and, and being the best version of themselves. It's what they, it's that thing you just said that happened with her, where she had to have some set like reflection point. She had to, she reflected that made her, it was like an awareness. It's that boom. And it jolted her into place to say, wait a second, all that this young woman is contributing is moving this thing forward. It's actually making me look good. It's making all of us look good. So why not show her a, a lot of appreciation? I mean, she went like way left field and did all this great stuff. And that's where that revelation is. That's like, there was like this trigger, something that, was, that hit her. That's what I find so interesting in this work. And I have to be honest, any person that I've interviewed in the book and anybody I ever interviewed, and that would be me and that would be you. We all have had that place where we're not that best leader. We aren't quote unquote touchy feely every single moment of our leadership journey. Right. And it's just at every pivot point. So it's not like, not like we get there and sometimes we stay there. Sometimes we still go back. We revert back to that place where it's about us. or it's about our project. It's about our timelines. Something else kind of jolts us. And then we go, "Uh Oh, we probably should like sit down with this person. So there are all these like just little crossroads that we all hit um, so that I had one, uh, one leader, he wasn't like a bad manager or somebody who wasn't caring or anything like that, but, but he was an accounting type and he was, he was an executive leader and operations. And so it was all about details and like numbers and spreadsheets, but he always found this way that he had this way of like stopping that side of him or like minimizing that side of him and meeting you right in your shoes. And so there was a time where I was frustrated. I was working for a large county government. 
he he sensed I was frustrated because I, I was hired to do one job. I was being paused and kind of stopped at every corner. And I was I was really frustrated. So he noticed that one day he just comes down, no appointment, just knocks on the outside of my door. And, and he has this huge smile on his face. And I'm going, oh, shoot. <laughs> like I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop or something. And um, he comes and he sits across from me um, on the chair on the side of my desk. And I'm still going like, what's well, happening? Because he's just looking all jolly. And he goes, Heather, okay, I know you're frustrated. I know we hired you to do this. And I promise you, you will get to do it. You're doing everything we hired you to do. But I know you're frustrated because the, the the leadership team is stopping you. They're stopping you from doing what you do best. And and I know that, but please be patient with us. You're just doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. Keep your chin up, okay? And at that point, I'm just like, you know, grinning from ear to ear because wow. even though we never had a conversation, you know, we, all these other things, right. he just decided in that moment to be spontaneous and meet me where I was at. And so while he was not a bad guy or a mean guy or anything, it's just that he would find these times to be like, and like, he would just like grin and and, you, and we, everything right. would melt because you knew he was about to come meet you there again. He's about to stay and write your shoes right. with you. Um, right. So having that way was just, you know, it was kind of cool that he could be that person who was like spreadsheet numbers, like process, like. And then he could like release it and say, okay. what's happening with so-and-so and so-and-so? And let me go check them out in this spontaneous drop-in way that made me feel extra special and important. So the next question then is, did he help you? Did he advocate for you? Because otherwise it's just, I do care about you, but I'm not going to help you. Yes. So I think, you know, that kind of gets this idea of compassionate action. And I think there's different levels of that. He, I, he did advocate for me behind closed doors but when they had their meetings, right? Because that's where most of the senior leadership meetings happen are sure. non-transparent places behind closed doors. So he did do that there. And then he kind of would try to express to me how he was trying to work it through or work, it, work around it and everything. But I think the key here is sometimes compassionate action doesn't mean you can take action, like action to to actually change um, the the situation for the person, but it's like taking the action to come down and alleviate their anxiety around a topic, right? It's, it's, it's sometimes it's the baby steps that go a long way. And yes, it'd be nice for him to be able to just do a 360, like change everything about it and say, now the leadership team has heard me. I've advocated. Right. It's all it's fixed. Like, that'd be amazing. <laughs> it does happen, it does happen right. like that one time that you, you had shared some story about a, uh, I can't remember who it was, but a gentleman who was at a county meeting and he talked about giving raises to all the team members. And I can't remember oh, the whole story. Yeah, it was, but, yeah, it was the city manager when he said, yes. uh, it was the commissioners were all complaining about how unsustainable it was to, to give cost of living increases to employees and that we should be relooking at the, the salary matrix and all this stuff as if city employees were making too much money. That's basically what they were saying. Which I promise you, none of them are. It's not the case. Right. It is not the case. But um, when it was when my boss said, I will not let you balance the budget on the backs of my employees. Those oh, that gives me the chills. Every time you say that, I, I get the chills. I have not, I probably have heard it 10 times and I have never, it never loses its luster for me. And it that's because chills. he did. Well, he was, <laughs> even if that didn't, let's say they decided they weren't reviewing it and they weren't, that advocacy part is yes. the compassionate action, even if the end game doesn't change. Exactly. Exactly. Right? That's where I was going with that question too, yeah. was it didn't change anything. Um, he ended up resigning and then I resigned shortly after that, but <laughs> Because the commissioners weren't listening, because they had this weird idea about what public sector work was like. and um, But yeah, it changed my relationship with him. I, I struggled with my relationship with him in terms of respecting him because he wasn't a caring leader, 
he cared about me. This is why I keep coming back to how do we get the audience that needs to hear these messages is because I knew he cared about me and my family, but he was not a caring leader in terms of providing resources, um, advocating for what he knew needed to be done. He did not address conflict. And I think to be a caring leader, you have to address when somebody, when one of your employees is bullying another employee. So, um, but that statement did change my relationship with him. Like it, it completely flipped how I saw him as a leader. Mm, yeah, and I, so I, I would say I would say the same thing. I don't even know anything about him at all. I know at that point is that his his um, level of advocacy for you is like right at that point it would be just a turning point for me. Oh, I had another situation. I worked for someone who was just like he's probably the worst manager I've ever worked for and and one of the most conniving leaders I've ever never kind of been in the circle of and I and I tried to manage up a lot I tried to coach up a lot um and I would see a, a, a tiny bit of receptivity to him to, to what I was so I could see he was a little receptive and I could see him really really struggling to try to get there but he had all this other baggage and back lack of trust and just control and all these things that were going on that he just could not win against. It was like right up against him, which I know this is, you know, there are a lot of people that are kind of right there. Yeah, Cause they won't and, acknowledge it in the first Yeah, place. they won't. And then right. he would, and I just, and I, I would see him, like I'd see him move and I'd be like, Ooh, he's like, he might be a little, I think he might be actually receptive. And then uh-huh. I'd, I'd see him fall way back and no one trusted him. And, and, you know, it just was not that kind of, it wasn't a great environment. And while people may have stayed because maybe the money was good or something like that, or they knew their job and it was like a comfort, they knew their friends and then they wanted to uh-huh. stay with them. He, he was a sense of fear and um, it's insecurity for them. Right. And, and so I, you know, I wanted to go about, you know, changing the world. I wanted to go about trying to help him because I knew the only way to do it is to try to see if there was a way to move him. And because so he'd be shortly moved, but not long-term moved. And, you know, this is, this is that, this is just a tough place because, None of us are perfect. This is not a journey to perfection. This is not even a destination. It's a journey that will just stay on forever as long as we decide that we're going to have any influence over anyway. Um, but it's, it's, so it's a rocky road for many of us. And while, you know, yes, I put together these nine behaviors, I was able to kind of pinpoint by going, ah, that's it. That's it. That's exactly it right there. And then reconcile it to what employees were saying. I don't live all of those to the fullest. I don't live all those nine B. I wish I could say, I, I wish I could say it's hundred percent on each, on each one of those tracks. We're human. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the message I always want people to go right with is that, that it is a journey, that it is going to be bumpy, that you are going to fall back, that you're not going to, you know, it's just not going to be a straight line. Uh, I'm not. And I write about and talk about this stuff to my face turns blue and <laughs> still, to, right. still keep struggling with it. You know, <laughs> Right. That's so funny. Just the other day I had a really, um, friction-filled conversation with my mother. And I got off the phone and I thought, Sarah, you are a communication coach. <laughs> you should be doing this so much better by now. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I, I hear that. And I love that about when we had our first coaching conversation around the nine tenets of caring leadership. Um, and you said to me, you are going to be higher in some areas than others, just like I am higher in some areas than others. And we don't have to be great at all of them. As, as a matter of fact, I would say coming back to this whole idea of a caring leader, not necessarily being an emotionally connected leader, you can still demonstrate care in different ways. And I love that there are nine different facets of this because then you can find one 
that you can live in and then surround yourself with other people that can bring the rest. Yes, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way to look at it. Um, I tend to like to live that way because I'm really hyper aware of the areas I'm short. <laughs> and uh, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be honest, like I'm going to try to work on them, but I'm with you as a strengths coach. I really like to work to my strengths. So I do like to surround myself with people who bring what I don't bring. I don't want a whole bunch of me's. Oh my gosh, no. You know, I just can't, it would be a bad world if that's the way it was. It needs to be, it just needs to be all of us, all of us, all the diversity that we bring to the table, diversity of thought and and background and everything. And so I, I just, I'm very intentional about surrounding myself with people who just bring just totally different things and just being really open to what it is they bring because there's all these gifts there. And I think that's, a, that's another one. It's just like, you may bring people um, but do, are you open and do you, do you implement some of the things they want based upon their differences or is it still like you're bringing them just so you can say you're representing people there at the table, but, but in the end, you're not taking on any of what their background, uh, the value it can right. actually help show inside the workplace, you know? Right. So I, I, you immediately made me start thinking about when we acknowledge people in the workplace and um, where if you are a leader and you're a caring leader, you know you're really good at, um, let's say, helping people bring their whole self to work. So basically, you understand that not every day is going to be a great day for somebody coming to work and that if they are low energy and something's going on at home, that you can acknowledge that and and guide them through it so that they can bring their best self to work when they can, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're really good at that and you want to acknowledge people, you also have to have people around you that can tell you how to acknowledge other people. So I'm not making this very clear, but basically what I'm thinking is when you want to to do employee acknowledgement, and I don't mean, and and appreciation, not just rewarding them for, for a good job done or whatever, but appreciating them every day, it helps to have other leaders around you sharing ideas about how to do that. Because my first instinct is, well, tell them, write them a little handwritten note. Most people just, they would love to just get a handwritten note from you on a sticky, hey, thanks for showing up at that meeting prepared. It really helped me get the work done or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody else who has strength has more of an empathetic approach. They may say, well, that person is really shy. So probably just a $10 Starbucks gift card would really, that's what they would want. You know, so having people around you to be able to bounce those ideas off of and bring different, different thoughts about the people in your team. I don't know. That, that was the first thing I was thinking. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, we we're, we're only could get better together. I mean, I, I don't know when people try to go it alone. It, it, just, it makes no sense because there's just so much richness in each person. I, and we often wonder just, you know, the people that like to do that, where they like to just, I was a person before, you know, I think about kind of before the pandemic, I was probably a little bit more self-reliant before the pandemic. And I don't know if, if it all made me just decide to give in or something. There was, I got to the point where I said, I'm doing a whole bunch and I'm exhausted. And of course I'm anxious, like every single person on this planet related to this thing. And, and then I just, at one point I just said, I just got to. I need help. I need to bring people around it. I just, I just started to kind of release, I guess, just say, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing that thing. And then I got to the point where I was just like really releasing. I mean, just to kind of like, okay, I'm not even doing that. And 
I'll check it, but I'm going to check it very topically and then it's done. Like a really strange um, dynamic because I am more of a person that likes to control things. Uh, but I just noticed that just during this time that I, I released more, I empowered more. Now, having said that, that is the behavior that is my most challenging area, that and self-care. Uh, so self-leadership mm-hmm. is kind of self-care area. And um, and, the, and then the idea of of empowering. And it's even though I release and I give, then I'm like, not every minute or every hour or even maybe even every day, but I'm like every other day, I'm like, did you get that thing done? Because I'm like, I'm so used to have having been, I did it. I'm the one who did it. Right. So now someone right. else is executing on it. I'm like, did that get done yet? Um, and so I feel, I'm like, I, I mean, I don't know if that, sometimes it's like, that's not, that's not bad. That's still good empowerment. You're just checking in to make sure it was done. But, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm just a little bit over, you know, on them. And that's- Am again, I that's micromanaging? Yeah. Am I micromanaging? Well, I'll say I lean on that. I actually, I would say I probably- lean on it. The only thing that makes me different in that case is that because I have a, a empathy is my main, just my number one strength because I am relater. I, I lean into those so strongly that it's a counterbalance between kind of being irritating because I think I would probably, they'd be like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You asked me like yeah, yesterday at the end of the day or something like that. And it, but yeah. because I'm like, but, but I know you're probably crazy. You probably haven't even gotten to it. And I just start to kind of go, I start to naturally go into that where I back myself off of it because I'm uh-huh. sensing or I'm listening. Um, so that's my, that's a strength that I lead with. Thank goodness. Because if I didn't, I probably would be honest, drive right over people. Yeah. Well, I think asking yourself, am I micromanaging is a really important question. I would say that 90% of the struggle I had with certain bosses was micromanagement and they probably had no idea that that's what they were doing. And they never ask themselves, am I micromanaging? Right? So that's the question. And um, I think every, every one of us who, who leads, who manages people has to ask ourselves the, that question. Am I guiding? Am I following up to, to confirm and make sure they have the resources they need? Or am I micromanaging? Am I taking away their power by asking them, which projects they've completed and to keep me up to date on every step of the way that they're doing this project. I don't know. I have you had a boss like that, that was able to stop micromanaging. Have you ever approached that or maybe even a coaching client that you were able to help them identify that that was a problem? No, I mean, I, I haven't none on the coaching side. I haven't had the micromanagement side. I've had like people who are uh, don't assume positive intent and who, needed some help to be better at that. Um, or. Well, that those can contribute. Yeah. Allowing people to contribute <laughs> and things like that. Exactly. Well, I mean, that leads to micromanagement. If you feel like you can't trust them to do their work, you're yeah. going to manage every detail of their work. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I, I haven't worked with people that have that as the issue is what I'm saying. The micromanagement uh-huh. side, there's other yeah. things they have, but not necessarily that. <laughs> Um, and I, again, there's all things we have. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's the point where you can diagnose each one of us and we all have something. Um, Absolutely. Right. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I know all my shortcomings, <laughs> but just thinking about, you know, yeah, that counterbalance of, uh, I, I, I'm really fortunate. I feel fortunate that, that I have a high level of self-awareness now that's also counterbalanced with, I have a pretty strong, but not solid, not rock solid. I have a pretty strong emotional self-management, the ability to control myself emotionally. Um, 
but it doesn't always show up the best in every environment. So an example of that is that I don't have nearly as much control at home, right? Because I'm oh. fully releasing. So I'm like, I might look over and be like, Dominic, why did you, you know, and, you know, right. and then I'd go right onto a podcast talking about something else. And it's not, it's not, it's just, it's just that emotional self uh, control. I'm aware I'm doing it. And then I, after I'm done, I'm like, why did I just do that? But why couldn't I have controlled myself in that moment? And we, so I talk a lot about that. And it, 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 when we look at caring leadership, we have to be aware of our actions and actions, what we say, what we fail to say, right? All of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, it, it's it, it, one thing I would say too, is the reason why I'm more aware is that all day I'm either on podcasts on my own or someone else's. I'm on live shows, mine or someone else's. I'm writing books. I, I, so it's like the awareness is at the top of mind. There's no way for me to get away from it, right? So right. I'm like staring at my, so the, the other day I'm, I'm interviewing someone and I'm like, ooh, I do that too. And I admitted it, like on the show, I said, right. I was thinking, ooh, I do that too. <laughs> I do that too. So finally I went, I'm, I'm thinking, as I'm talking and I'm interviewing, I'm like, you know what? I, I actually have done that too with my team members. And I mean, the only thing, like I said, the only thing that saves me is that part where I really care for them. To, like I really want them to have a good, you know, feel good and have a good experience. So I, because I care so much in that way, I'm always trying to, it's like a balance or a you know struggle mm-hmm. that I have with myself in that regard. But if I, I, so I can see how a lot of leaders would not necessarily be as aware if they aren't constantly filling themselves up. Like, reading books in the topic, listening to podcasts, like just constantly filling themselves up where, which, which I talk about owning your own growth, right. Inside self-leadership. Mm-hmm. If they're not doing that, then their awareness does go down. Their, their guard does go way down and they start to backtrack from what it is they may have learned when they went through that workshop uh, with Sarah on strengths, you know, right. and if they don't have a constant reminder of it, then they backtrack. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's a huge issue across the board in, in education and professional development is that lack of sustainability of certain training thoughts and, and ideas, because y- you get back into work. And especially as a boss, sometimes you have to actually just be a boss. And, yes. and being aware that I, I think it, it comes back to intention, that if your intention is to bring the best out of your employees, and they know that because you've demonstrated that already, then when you have to lead a little harder and you have to say, I'm not sure why you did it that way. And when we already talked about, mm-hmm. we were going to do it this way. And I'm curious, but I, I'm, I'm kind of upset about this. I mean, there are times when you just have to, you just have to be a leader. <laughs> you do. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's that whole like setting clear expectations and like following up and making them, making sure that everybody's accountable, including yourself, holding everybody else to mm-hmm. high standards, just like you would yourself. And so, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. There's, there's, I, I want, I don't want people to walk away or be confused that caring leadership is just this touchy squish. Like it's just, it has no bounds and there's no measurement. And that's what I've done. I've said, I want to take this nebulous thing that's really like vague, like, oh, he cares about me. I care about, I care about you. And not even just as a manager to a team member, but just generally this concept as a human, of care. Right. Um, at home, our team member, our, our children, whatever. Um, and give like more meat to it that you can put your hands around. And you talked about the expression, like he did this and he expressed it. The expression of it through your actions and your behaviors was a huge part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it has this element of, I want to give you an example. You know, I, I, I was working at that county government. I was working and I had a really kind of eclectic team. And there was one team leader that she was my team leader. I made her team leader. 
she was a team leader over the, this kind of eclectic team. And two of the t- two of the people on the team, for some reason, didn't like her. And I don't know what it was. I mean, she was a very dominant person. She was the leader of the team, but she was so like she cared for them. She went out of the way. She was so flexible. She did all these great things. I would divine her as a caring leader. So, but they didn't like her. So one one day she's there on the in the call center and she hears like a recording because she's part of my the job I gave her was that she needed to be listening doing spot checks and listen to recordings of people on customer calls. So she's on a call and she hears two of the team members on a call talking about her in a bad way. Oh no. And it's recorded. So she says, Heather, I think you might want to listen to this. And I'm not okay with it. Here's why I'm not okay with it, because my value system as a leader is that team is like at the top of everything. Team, team cohesion, team collaboration, team trust. It's very important to me. So when I heard that, I immediately get like the hair on the back, you know, know, and so I get, I, but I release it. I release it because I can't go into it like highly emotional because that's not what you want to do either. So I I, I take it in. I'm pissed. I'm going to say it right here on the show, but I, 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 I meet with each of them individually. And I say, okay, just so you know, this is what happened. I'm aware of it. And by the way, you can't lie about it because it's on the recording. Like I heard you, it's written. And by the way, your team member, she heard it first and then passed it on to me. And here's what I'm going to do. You're going to, I'm writing you up. I'm writing you up because you understand my value system. You know that I value that, that the team itself and what we represent about teamwork, team cohesiveness, and what our organizational values are. And the action that you took to talk the way you did on a recorded line with another coworker is unacceptable. So I'm going to write you up. Uh, it, I, it's unacceptable for you to do this, do this going forward. And I had that conversation with each one of them in a very, just that exact same way, like that tone. I wasn't right, yelling. Exactly. I wasn't cussing. I wasn't screaming. It was just saying this behavior is unacceptable. This behavior is unacceptable. You know it. You knew it from the beginning. You didn't do it. I'm sorry. I've done it. And I've never written anybody up before that. But those right. two young, those two women uh, to me, were, it was like a high level of disrespect, completely devalue. I mean, just anything we stood for, they just threw out the window. And they deeply hurt this person who had been going over and above to like, make sure they had time off too. Like she was doing all these things for these people. Right. And I was like, how could she even do that? Do you know what this person does for you? Okay. They I'm not going to go no. there. In fact, I'm not, not going to go there. Right. I'm not going to even go there. In the end, you violated our value system as a team and the organizational norms and, and values. And so as a result, right. you're going to do And that was that. And then like, after we did it, we moved, like I moved on I then I had to continue to lead them. And that was what was what. And if, and if, and I said, and if she were to do the same to you and I would hear that on the phone and it was her, even though I had an affinity to her because she really just showed up at all the caring leadership uh, principles, she just showed right. up a lot. But if she, if I heard that or saw that from her, I would absolutely call her in the office and say, I'm really disappointed. I'm really disappointed. in how this is not you. And so, but it is you in this moment. And so because of the harm I know you caused by these people listening to you, I have to write you up. And I, it hurts me to say this. And, and right. so they would leave their, disa- not mad at me, disappointed right. in them because they knew from my perspective, I always advocated for them, right? I was always right. in their corner. So I did all this. Tr- this is what I talk about, right? It's all this trust building that you do up front that when the time comes for them to call them on the carpet, do that course correction with them. And you do it in the way, again, not emotional, just this here's And this transparent. Is- <laughs> this is what's what. And there you go. Then, th- then they leave. They're more like, Ugh, I really kind of let the team, like I let Heather down. Like that was really sucky. Like I really shouldn't, you right. know, that's what yes. they do. And they want to try to get better. Cause they have to own it when you, when you approach it in that way, they have to own it. They can't blame yeah. you or her no. for that because no, of, because you yeah. didn't, 
Right. I think about that a lot, um, being able to approach that kind of correction. Again, I'm coming back to this whole idea that I, I don't think you can be a caring leader if you don't address that kind of issue. Like, I think my former boss would have listened to the recording and then would have just not done anything about it. I really, I really believe, or maybe he would go to them and say, don't do that again. And then that would be the end of it. Like there would be no consequence and there, there has to be a consequence. There has to be. You can't That's tolerate. the care you express. Right, yeah. exactly. Because, because you you're, you're, you're expressing the care by helping them self-correct. Mm-hmm. And also you're expressing the care because you're expressing care for the person on the other side who just heard that, the pain that expressed right. for her, all the work she does, all the stuff she puts into them. Right. And into her job. And you and she's not perfect like no one else right. is, but she didn't deserve that. Right. And, and I know you, she did. Right. And if you don't know she didn't, I can't help you, but you're going to have to pay a little price for that. And that is, sorry, that is, I would do the same for you. There's no, this is not right. an uneven playing field. I would do the same right. for the other person, even if I had an affinity. Cause there's, I, I read a lot of surveys, lot and lots of survey comments. And one of the things I see a lot is this idea of like favorites, favorites, fairness, right? Right. And while I'm not going to say I've never, I bet I'm above it, that I've never had favorites. I'm not going to tell you that here. Having said that, if they go, if they do something that is counter to like my personal value system of respect for the human dignity in every person, no matter who they are, I will call them on the carpet and I will look at ways how that aligns with our values. And I will call them on that. And absolutely, I don't care who it is. So Anyway, that's that. That was a little bit of a side, but I think that's important along the lines of what we were talking about, about like not everything is cherries, roses, birds chirping, snow white. <laughs> you know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. Well, I, I, you know, it's so easy to fall into this trap of, of caring about each other and thinking that that means all nice. And mm-hmm. um, I think you're, you're far more caring with somebody if you help them with a the course correction. Um, I, we did this with our children. Why would we not do this with a, a professional that we can see is going in a direction that is not going to be good for their career, that is not good for the rest of the team? If you're not correcting them, you're not helping them in any way. And if you're listening to this too, and you're thinking, well, I don't like manage a team member. You know, the book, I, at the beginning, I say this book is for those in HR. This book is for um, those for leaders or people who manage people. And just for those who think of themselves as leaders. And so if you don't think of yourself as leaders, stop it right now, because every single one of us is leading somebody. Guess what? You're leading yourself. So, you know, if, if you're not someone who manages somebody, let's just put that aside. Caring leadership applies to all of us. How do you show up every day? How do you make people feel in your presence? Um, do you leave them feeling slighted? Do you leave them feeling like you, they didn't, they, they weren't heard? Do you leave them feel like you don't care about their journey? Those are the questions you ask yourself, no matter your title. And that's, so the book is really, um, even though I kind of kick myself because I, I should have now that it's done. So that's okay. I have second chances um, (laughs) (laughs) that I wasn't even more clear about that in the Mm -hmm. beginning of it to say, yes, I talk a lot about workplace. I'm a workplace expert. Yes. I talk a lot about, you know, but in the end, this is about the the parents that are at home. Are you listening? Uh, Right. This is the people in the community organizations. Mm -hmm. This is people, if you're a leader in your synagogue or someone who looks to you, they come to you. Even if an example, you're in your synagogue or you're in your church or you're wherever you're at. Right. And someone comes in the door and it's a new person coming in to inquire about becoming a A member member of participating. right? Right. Yeah, they're they're coming in and you kind of brush them off or there's someone there and they want to know where the bathroom's at because they've never been there before. And you kind of go, oh, it's over there. And you just kind of keep talking to your friends. You weren't inclusive. You didn't expand your circle. 
you didn't help them where they're at in their shoes, right? This is, it all applies across the board. So right. just know that caring leadership is for you too. Yes, absolutely. And, and coming back to this whole idea of being true to yourself and acknowledging when something is wrong, if you are a caring leader and you hear somebody bad-mouthing someone else and you don't correct that, you, are, you may as well be standing right next to them, bad-mouthing them yourself. And it took me well into my late 30s, early 40s to be able to, to deal with that. And mm-hmm. I did hear somebody saying, somebody came to me and was you know, complaining about somebody else. And I immediately said, you know, that's not really helpful. It's not helpful for me to hear your complaints about this person because you haven't given me any solutions. You haven't acknowledged that this person is going through this, this, and this. So this isn't helpful. Let's let's talk about how we can support this person, even if we don't like her. How do we support this person? And it wasn't until my early 40s that I was able to approach things like that. I would hear somebody mm-hmm. bad-mouthing someone else, and I would say, you know, that's just not very nice. And I, I don't think that that is you to be talking behind somebody's back like that. Yeah, I've been kind of that. We were talking about, I was talking to someone about this earlier, but I've been a person who leads with compassion and empathy. I told you that already. And so uh-huh. for me, the advocate is a natural place for me to be. And I've actually right. had to just back myself away from being like, I've, because I'd be, I'd be so hard charging or I'd get so emotional because I'd feel the pain of the other person, right. no matter what it was. It could be like your best friend did this thing to you and you aren't friends anymore. And I'd be like, how dare her? <laughs> right. And I would just be like, ah. and I would get so tied up into it. My entire life I've been that way. And it gets the compassion fatigue is real for people like, like me. Right. Um, right. But then kind of going, okay, how can I balance that? And so putting again, going back to this conversation, how can I balance the, 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 the need to, to be compassionate towards others, the need to fill myself up and make sure I don't get too invested where then I'm like emotionally a wreck. And right. I can't even like do my job or work or, you know, do what I need to do. How can I balance that? And I would say, you know, balancing that is, you know, doing a lot of self-care is a big part of it. Reflection, taking that time is a big part mm-hmm. of it. Um, there, I do, I have learned over the years to disassociate with what's happening with the people a, little, a lot better, actually. So that, mm-hmm. Set that I may, I may go, oh man, you know, and I, I can sense it and I can feel it. And then I have a, be- a better ability to step away from like the computer, for example, or step away from the, the, the conversation and then keep right. going. It, I literally used to, it, up until my thirties, I would be like, I couldn't get out of it. Right. I'd be stuck in their rut. I'd be stuck in their rut. <laughs> right. Well, one of the things that I tell my coaching clients who have empathy in their top strengths, I tell them that empathy is a superpower, not because you absorb other people's emotion, but because you can observe it. And if you can if you can do that, if you can shift that idea, I am empathetic, but I don't have to absorb it. I can observe it and I can use that as a tool. Then I think it, it changes your relationship with empathy to a certain extent and allows you to set those boundaries differently. Totally. And of course I wish I would learned that from like a teaching perspective way long ago. It took me to my (laughs) thirties to say, I'm going to have to do something different probably because I was having kids and I couldn't do that and work and keep all, and I just emotionally couldn't take it all. So I had to say, okay, how do I disassociate? And so I just, I, I think with everything else with the adversity in my life, I think I just developed my own internal tools, mm-hmm. which, which were basically what you just talked about. Yeah, it's just finding absolutely. a different way to a healthier relationship with it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's um, bring this full circle, Heather. Um, I, I love the book, The Art of Caring Leadership and our community of uh, the caring leadership community that we're building on the back end of that book. 
I think is going to be a powerful tool, particularly for people who don't necessarily know what a caring leader looks like. It's a way the assessment helps people to quantify a qualitative issue. Mm. And um, I, to me, that's, that's huge. I remember that part of my MBA. How do you quantify qualitative characters? And that's basically what you've been able to do with this assessment and then develop this leadership community so that we can bring up these, these concerns. Oh, I don't think I handled that very well. This is the kind of person I am. What are some other options? What other strategies have you guys used? And being able to have that safe place to, to develop that, those skills and practice them because we all need practice no matter how good we are at it. Um, so I just, I really appreciate what, what this is doing for our communities. So I just want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. You know, I love the fact that you're on this journey with me, just the perfect person uh, to be with me right next to me. So I'm excited. It's good stuff. Well, for our listeners, um, it's, we will have all of the links associated with this um, conversation on the blog post that goes with the podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. So any of our listeners can connect with Heather on LinkedIn, Heather R. Younger. Um, feel free to go to Amazon to get the book, The Art of Caring Leadership. Make sure you come to, what, what is the website again? Caring CaringLeadership.co. CaringLeadership.co. So it's a really easy one. You don't even have to jot anything down if you're driving right now while you're listening. CaringLeadership.co. And you can, for free, join the Caring Leader community where uh, there's a forum going on around all of these different characters, uh, the characteristics of a caring leader. So you'll have lots of different voices to, to hear and to participate. And I think the most important part is that we get to contribute. It's not just um, some speaking, talking head telling us how we should be. There's so much potential for other leaders to come in there and contribute their expertise and their ideas and strategies to just make our workplaces more welcoming, um, more productive, more innovative, because all of those things are things that we need to address right now in our lives. So Heather, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you, love. It's been awesome. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places, and the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you. Could you tell me that you're going